take a look at the, this next section of Scripture in, in Romans chapter 10 where we are focusing in on the nature of God's righteousness. First 13 verses focus on the nature of God's righteousness. And if you remember when we began on it, we started the first four verses last time. We talked about the prayer of Paul and, and his desire, right? His deep burden to see lost people come to Jesus. But we see the problem of Israel. The problem of Israel is they, they're trying to establish their own righteousness and they don't understand that they need the righteousness imputed to them, given to them, by faith in the finished work, what Christ has done. And so he goes on in verse 4 and he tells us the purpose of Christ. We look at, at, at Romans 10.4 and the scripture tells us, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the, the, the problem for the Jew, we see the heart of Paul, we see the purpose of Christ providing for you and I a righteousness apart from the law, a righteousness that is by faith. And this morning we're going to take a look then at that principle, the principle of that faith on, on verses 5 through, I don't know, we'll see, 13. You can hold on for 21, but I'm, I'm not sure that's going to work out. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But as we look, we see in verse 5, it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So the first thing we see in the, in the principle of faith, what did Moses write? Now as, as Paul is laying out this teaching for us, it's important that we understand. Indeed, this is what Moses wrote. If you can live by the law, you will live Forever. Just one problem, right? Yeah, nobody can do it. Well, let's back that up. There was one guy who did it, right? What was his name? That's right, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, fulfilling the law, should have lived forever. But what did he do? He died for those who were supposed to die. So that those who were supposed to die could what? Could live. So first thing, the first principle of faith. What did Moses write? Look at Leviticus 18.5. He says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So the Lord laid out the idea. Look, if you live by this law, then you and I will be good. And he goes on in Ezekiel, the prophet in Ezekiel says the same thing. The Lord says, I gave them statutes in Ezekiel 20, 11, and showed them my judgments, which if a man does them, he shall live by them. Same thing that, that Paul's quoting here. In fact, in Ezekiel 20, verse 13, it says, Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness, and they didn't walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does them, he shall live by them. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament, we see the same phrase, the same concept. If you'll live by them, then you'll, you will live. If a man lives by them, he shall live. But here's what we discover in, in the epistle of James, in James chapter 2 verse 10, James says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, 
He is guilty of all. So when the Lord lays out for us what Moses wrote, that the law requires perfect obedience. So if I am going to be made righteous by what I do, it's simple, all I got to do is be perfect. How many people we got perfect this morning? Because as soon as you raise your hand, I'm going to call you out. We know better, right? We know better. This is what Moses wrote. This is what Moses laid out for us. But then in verse 6, he says that there's a little word, but. Every time we see that word, but, it means there's a strong contrast coming in the scripture. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. So first we saw what Moses wrote. Now we see what righteousness speaks. As we look through what Moses wrote, all the while we're reading it and seeing the requirement of God, righteousness is telling us, yeah, I can't do that. I can't, I can't fulfill that. I can't meet that requirement. I've, I fall short of that. So he says in verse 6, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. There's three things we're going to see in the righteousness of faith. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is a word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When we look at this section of scripture, what we see that Paul is doing is he is doing what's called a, a peshir. Uh, when we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were several ancient rabbinical commentaries. And those ancient rabbinical commentaries would take Old Testament sections of scripture and make application for what had been going on at that at that time in those rabbis lives what we see paul doing by the inspiration of the holy spirit taking that same scripture and helping us to recognize that what was being spoken in deuteronomy chapter 30 which is what he's quoting partially was pointing to the word of faith and the word of faith is synonymous with messiah Well, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you guys flip over there, you're welcome to join me there. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. This commandment, this word that I speak to you, he's going to define as the word of faith in a moment. In verse 12, he says, It is not in heaven that you would say, Who will ascend into heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you would say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? But the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. The word. Now what Paul is doing as he looks at at Deuteronomy chapter 30 is he's He's uh, making the correlation between Deuteronomy 30 and John 1.1. You guys remember John 1.1? In the beginning was what? 
the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who is the Word? Jesus Christ, right? The Word is God. Jesus Christ is God. John 1, 1 very clearly uh, describes that. So what Paul is doing is he's making this commentary. And he's saying, now, what, what Moses was writing about, telling the people, you don't need someone to go up into heaven for you who's living their life so well that they have access into heaven to grab a hold of the Word and bring Him to you. So what, what Paul's saying is that Word is Christ. Now, here's, here's how we can understand maybe a little bit better. There was an idea, a tradition among the Pharisees, that if a Pharisee kept all the Jewish laws perfect one single day, if he could do it for one day, that man's righteousness would induce God to send Messiah. So you begin to understand why Pharisees were so uptight about the law, right? Because their goal, their focus was, man, if I can keep this perfect for a day, then maybe it could be me, it becomes self-glorifying, right? But maybe it could be me that would bring Messiah. And Messiah would come because I finally kept the law good enough. And we, we consider that thinking, then the idea is, if a person is good enough, that he could merit the opportunity to climb up into heaven and grab a hold of Messiah and pull him down. Or if Messiah had gone into hell, he could bring him back up. But who has that kind of righteousness? The point that Paul's saying is, is we can't climb into heaven and bring Jesus down. We can't climb into earth and bring the Messiah up. The whole point is only God can send the Savior from heaven. Only God would raise Him up. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Only God can save you, and therefore, that is where your faith has to be. So what is it that the, that the word of, of uh, righteousness, what is it that righteousness speaks? It says... There can be no amount of human effort or performance or value or worth that will save you. You can't go into heaven and get Jesus. You can't go to hell and pull Him up. Now, now a lot of people are confused over that. Because Deuteronomy, it talks about the sea, right? The depths of the sea. But for the nation of Israel, the depths of the sea was a symbol of, of the abode of all evil. The Israelites weren't a seafaring people. They didn't get in ships and travel. They didn't like the sea. You know, the, the Sea of Galilee, that's, you guys know that's a lake, right? The Sea of Galilee is a lake. They didn't like going out on, on the open sea. So that becomes a reference. In fact, in Revelation, you know, when we go through Revelation, it says very specifically that in heaven there is no more sea. And people get uptight. Oh, great. No beaches, no waves. What a bummer. But people in Idaho probably don't do that. But but people from other places where they had beaches might do that. But the point is, that's not what he's saying. The point is, what he's saying is, that place from which they believed all bad things came from. There isn't any more of that. There isn't any more of those kind of places. 
Well, when Paul talks about it here in Romans chapter 10, look how he, how he says it. He says, do not say in your heart, like you can do these things, who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abuso, the abyss, to bring Christ up. Now, isn't that kind of interesting that he would throw that in there? When we consider that, we consider this section and what he's talking about here and what we are able to do uh, in and of our own works. He alludes to something that Jesus Christ did and that God worked in and through him. And so we, we probably got to pause for a minute and, and talk about it. Beelzebub's up here. Did you see him? If one of you guys get a fly swatter, he lands on my forehead again, you come up and whack him. Okay, so, I can't stand flies. Um, yeah, is he with you? I'm sorry. I, I, I sent him toward you guys. So what we want to do is, we, I, you probably heard me say this before, and it, sometimes it confuses people. So, so I say things like, there's nobody in hell today. And people look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? So let me, let me give you the, the rundown. The Bible has three different words for hell. It has the word Hades, actually has four. Tartarus, Gehenna. Uh, no, that's three, isn't it? Last time I counted? One, two, three. Okay, three of them. So, but what it's talking about in those words is the abode of the dead. Jesus tells us a story, right? You guys remember about a rich man and Lazarus? And they both die and one goes to Abraham's bosom and the other goes to Hades? Both. Sheol, the grave. The, the abode of the dead is what Hades means. It's just the abode of the dead. The devil's not in hell right now. The devil is busy. He's trucking around here causing trouble. There has been no final judgment. No souls have been cast into hell yet. Though there are many waiting to be judged of God. When... The scriptures tell us in, in considering this concept about Christ going to the abuso. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, we see a similar scripture. It says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Right? Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that first he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might feel all things. This is another example of a pesher. He's quoting from the Psalms. And again, he's making comment on, on what the Psalms declared. So what does it mean? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What Jesus told us that, that Hades, the abode of the dead, prior to the cross, was divided into two parts. Abraham's bosom for the righteous dead, those who died in faith, looking for Messiah, and then you have those who died in rejection. And so it's divided into two compartments. When Jesus died, a lot of times people say, well, what, what did he do? The Bible says that he was in the bowels of the earth for how long? Three days, right? He rose on the third day. So when we, so when we look at it, the Bible tells that Jesus descended. He descended. He went to the abode of the dead. Divided into two parts. Now, if we want a little more clarification on it, we go to 1 Peter 3.18. In 1 Peter 3.18, it tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So the scripture tells us Jesus descended down into the bowels of the earth, and he preached to the spirits in prison. Now, this word preached does not mean that he delivered the gospel and everybody who was in hell got a second chance. This priest means heralded. He went down and proclaimed the victory. What did Ephesians say? He led captivity captive. He took those who were in the place of the righteous dead, who were looking forward to the cross, forward to Messiah, but, but died in faith looking. Jesus went down, proclaimed victory, so that those who are waiting judgment know they're still waiting judgment. And then he gathered up all the Old Testament saints and he led them to heaven. Now, Abraham's bosom is empty. The Bible tells us now, after the cross, what happens when you die? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we die, we go to him. But prior to the cross, you couldn't go to God. Your sins hadn't been paid for yet. You were looking forward in faith to Messiah. To the sacrifice of Christ. And when that was accomplished, now those souls were led forward. Who did all that? Jesus. Did it depend on you at all? No. What what if you don't believe it? If you don't believe it, does it stop it from happening? No. If you don't believe it, does he not do it? No. Really? It doesn't have anything to do with us. And that's really what Paul's point is. He's saying, you couldn't make him descend and grab people and take them out. You couldn't make him proclaim. You couldn't bring them down from heaven. God did all of that. So your salvation is wholly dependent on him, not you. That's the point. The point is, we didn't pull him down. We didn't raise him up. God did all of those things. So, our salvation does not depend on human effort. That's what righteousness says. That's what righteousness declares. He said, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. So, part one, it's not about our our human effort. Secondly, we see, uh, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. He says the word is near you. Now I want you to think in a Jewish context. How was the word near them? Man, they spoke the Torah every day. In fact, most of them memorized the first five books of the Bible. So when he says the word is in your mouth, that's that that thing you're saying, you're speaking. Every day you gather together and you come to the synagogue and you share out of the Word. It's the Word you're speaking. That's the Word of faith. It's the Word that declared, you're not able to do this. God's going to do it for you. It's that Word that's close to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. They spoke it every time they gathered on Sabbath and they memorized it. So he's saying, look, it... it, Tells us, the word of righteousness declares to us that there is a personal faith 
in the finished work of Christ is required. It's the word that's in your mouth. It's the word that's in your heart. The word of God, it's not obscure and it's not difficult to grasp. Where do you find it? Two places. In the mouth and in the heart. Think that's going to come up again in a minute? In the mouth and in the heart. It's impossible to be a Christian and have the Word of God hidden in your heart and have it never come out of your mouth. Those two things are impossible. He declares in 1 Corinthians 1.18, The message of the cross is foolishness to whom? To those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who don't understand, to those who have no faith, then who cares? But to those who do have faith, it's vitally important. In fact, he goes on in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1 to say, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. To save those who believe. It can't be done by human effort, he's declaring. It must be an item of personal faith in the finished work of Christ. And it requires our response. Those three things. Look at verse 9. Requires our response. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Requires our response, this word that righteousness declares. Our our works cannot accomplish it, faith does. And then that faith requires our response, and it's twofold. It's an outward confession, and it's an inward commitment. And the inward commitment brings forth the outward confession. If you guys understand what I'm saying, when he begins, he says the word confess. If you confess with your mouth, the Greek word for confess is homo legeo. Homo legeo means to say the same thing as, to speak the same thing, to agree with the person in regard to what he is speaking. Confess the Lord Jesus. It means to be in agreement with everything that Scripture declares about who Jesus is. You confess the Lord Jesus. Uh, NASB says that you confess Jesus as Lord. That's probably the closest to the original language and what it says. What does that mean? It means the things that the Scripture declares about Jesus are vital. A lot of people wonder, well, does it really matter if I believe that Jesus is God? Well, you know that Jesus said in the Gospel of John, unless you believe that I am the ego I me, which would mean, unless you believe I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. Who Jesus is is very important. It's, it's in fact, vital. Who is he? Is he who he said he was? Do you confess him as Kyrios? Kyrios. That's a 
kind of a cool word. Let me tell you a little bit about that word. It's the word translated Lord here. 6,000 times, Kyrios is used to translate God's personal name. Some Bibles, it might be Jehovah. Others, Yahweh. It is the proper name of God. 6,000 times Kyrios is used in the Septuagint as the translation for who God is. So when it says confess that Jesus, confess Jesus as Lord, it's pretty descriptive of who Jesus is. You have to know he's who he said he was. It takes us 2,000 years later to get confused. In John chapter 8, Jesus standing before the Pharisees. He's having a conversation with them. They're telling him about their father Abraham. He's telling them if they were really of Abraham, they would rejoice to see his day. Because Abraham saw my day. And he rejoiced in it. And they said, you're not that old. And Abraham's been dead for a long time. How did Abraham see your day? And Jesus said, How's it go? Before Abraham was, I am eternal God. That's what it means. Ego, I, me. Before Abraham existed, I was eternal. Now, People argue about it today. Oh, that's not really what he meant. Well, all you got to do is watch what the Jews did. What did the Jews do? They picked up stones to stone him. Jesus said, what are you stoning me for? Yeah, because you being a man have made yourself to be God. So they didn't misunderstand what he said, what he was saying. Jesus very clearly declared throughout the Gospels that he is God in the flesh. How did Abraham see his day? When did Abraham see him? Any time and every time Abraham ever talked to God face to face, he was talking with Jesus Christ. But you know, the special day that he saw him was Genesis 22. And he carried his son that he loved to the top of a mountain because God told him to. And he laid him out on an altar. And in his mind, he had already killed his son. He was so obedient to what God declared that he was going to present his child as a living sacrifice, or as a dead sacrifice, was going to kill him there. But as he's got the knife, whether he's bringing it down or not, doesn't make any difference. The point is, God stopped him. On the way up, his son asked him, Dad, we got the wood and we got the fire, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Yahweh Yideh, God will provide himself. And he said, in this mountain, he will provide it. That mountain's called Mount Moriah. On one of the plateaus of Mount Moriah was built a, a flat area where the nation of Israel built a temple. And the quarry from which they quarried all the stone for the temple became the place of, of capital punishment. 
And the place of capital punishment, because they were digging all the rock out of it, it got a name. Because as they were pulling all the rock out of that place, they started to notice that there was this thing on the cliff side that looked like a skull. So they called it, what? Golgotha. And another father offered his son, and he died. Abraham rejoiced to see that day. Because it meant his son didn't have to die. God's would. That's the rejoicing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He is who He said He was, what does His name mean? Confessing the Lord Jesus. Confessing Jesus, it's the, it's the word Yehoshua. It means God Almighty saves. God Almighty saves. Confess his name. What to say in Matthew 10? Jesus was speaking in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Listen to what he said. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What does this mean? What, what is he talking about? Well, look, if... If we believe in our heart, then we will confess with our mouth. The psalmist declared like this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If God has saved you, if you have that faith and that relationship with Him, it comes out. You know, we don't have a hard time doing it for most other things. If you were, were a Giants fan, and you're watching, uh, what, what did it end up being? Six hour game? Six hour, 30 minutes game in the playoffs? And when they finally put that thing away and won, you're jumping up and down, confessing with your mouth. How much you glory in your team. Right? So if we believe in our hearts, Confession with our mouth is not so hard. Right? He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and then he goes on to tell us, and believe in your heart that God had raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Does the resurrection matter? Does it really matter whether or not Jesus rose from the dead? Well, according to Paul, it is the only thing that does matter. If Christ isn't raised... Then we are still in our sins, he declares. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus died and stayed dead, then death had dominion over him. He didn't fulfill the law. His sacrifice is invalid and you're not saved. But if Jesus Christ did keep the law, then death could not hold him because he was not guilty. And so by rising from the dead, he declares, My death is substitutionary for all who will believe. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe, put your weight into Jesus Christ, 
Put our weight, just like I was, I've shared with you a multitude of times when we talk about the, the cliff side and we're hanging from the cliff and Jesus is reaching down with his hands. He's reaching out with, with his hands to save us because we can't save ourselves. Believing means I put both my hands in his. I don't need to hold on to anything else. Believe that God raised him from the dead. I will be saved if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart inward commitment outward confession he declares but then he goes on well what then does scripture demand we've heard what righteousness says we heard what moses wrote now what does scripture demand listen to it in verse 11 for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Who is able to come to salvation? What's it say? Only a special group? Whoever. Whoever can be saved if they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. That's all that is required. Moses wrote... If you want to be saved a different way, you got to be perfect. Righteousness said your own works aren't good enough. You need a personal faith. You need a, a outward confession and an inward commitment that you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And the scripture declares whoever does it, whoever can be saved. Whosoever believes on the name of the Lord. In Mark 8.38, he said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of his Father and his holy angels. Well, what keeps us from being ashamed? How do I stop from being ashamed? I believe on him. That's what he's telling us. Whoever's ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of when I come. But he tells us in in Romans 10, the scripture declares, whoever believes on me will what? Will not be ashamed. Will not be put to shame. We want to have that focus. We want to be able to hold on to it. So then he gives us the promise of salvation. He lays out for us the promise of salvation. As we look at the last two verses we'll probably look at today. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call on Him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The promise of salvation. He lays out for us the the principle of faith. The principle of faith is built on what Moses wrote, what righteousness says, what the Scripture declares. And the promise of salvation... He lays out three things for us in the promise of salvation as well. First, there is no distinction. No difference. Is God only the God of the Jews? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Or is He only the God of the Gentiles and not for the Jews? And just in case you're wondering, those two groups sum up everybody on earth. It's like the saints and the ain'ts. The, the, the people on my right hand and the people on my left. It's everybody. There's no distinction, no difference, differentiation between them. 
There's no difference. First thing, no difference. The promise of salvation is to everyone. And then he says what? Look at it. He says, for the same Lord, the same Lord, Kyrios, God Almighty, over all, is rich to all who call upon him. What's that mean? He's rich to all. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call. Well, if we look at Ephesians 2.7, Ephesians 2.7 says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Grace. So the same Lord, God, who is over all, is also rich to all who call on his name. That means God is wealthy. You can never be outside of the ability of God's grace to reach you. It doesn't matter where you are, what you've done, what's gone on. God can reach you with His grace. It does not, your sin does not hold you back from the riches of His grace. But there's a, there's a point that riches of His grace only come to who? To those who do what? Call on him. Right? He promises his grace. He promises his grace. The, the promise of salvation, there's no distinction. There's no distinction. That, that salvation is for everyone. And there's no withholding of his grace to anyone who calls. And then he gives that great phrase at the end, right? For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Anybody at any time. Listen, the Jews tripped over Christ because they wanted their own righteousness. They wanted to be able to achieve it themselves. Remember, he's talking in this section about what happened to the Jews. How did the Jews reject? Why have they rejected And so he's telling us why. Because they're clinging to their own righteousness. They're clinging to to faith in (coughs) themselves. People in church have a lot of problems with that. They got faith in a church. They got faith in a prayer. They got faith in a religious system. But you got to have faith in Jesus Christ. None of those other things save. He saves. It's not what we do, what we say, what we wear, how we look. It's in whom we have believed. The object of our, of our faith is so vital. It's so vital. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. Man, it reminds me of Revelation 22.17. Revelation 22.17 says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Who's the Spirit? Holy Spirit. Who's the bride? The church. Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears, Come. Let him who thirsts, Whoever desires, Let him take the water of life free. That's salvation. Paul's declaring that the the Jews tripped over the principle 
of faith. And that's why they rejected their Messiah. It became about what they could do instead of what He has done. But Paul's going to go on to declare God's not finished with them. In fact, in the rest of this chapter, he's going to declare the things that have happened. But, but let's go back to that last phrase. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, you get what he says? Look, when we call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. doesn't say when you come to church. doesn't say when you got baptized. It says when you called on His name. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. And then salvation, guys, is absolute. Do you catch it? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He doesn't say might be saved, could be saved. He says what? Shall. It is a done deal. It is finished. It is accomplished. As we look at Romans chapter 10, and he declares for us this this idea, the, the principles of faith. What the Jew tripped over, what the nation of Israel tripped over. The danger, as we go on into the next chapter of Romans, is that the church might be tripping over it too. He said, if God grafted in the wild olive tree, don't you think he can graft in the natural? And if we start to think, oh yeah, I got this because I'm so good. And I forget my brokenness. I forget that I'm broken at the core. That I sin because I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I don't ever want to forget that stuff. It is through Christ's finished work that we are all saved. And if we start to think, well, this salvation can't extend to someone, we got to remember what it says in Romans 10. Whosoever calls. So all that is necessary for anyone ever to be saved is to confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in the heart God raised Him from the dead. And you will be saved. What if I'm not the elect? Whoever told you about them anyway? And if they did tell you about them, well, let me tell you, if you call in the name of the Lord, ta-da, you're the elect. <laughs> what if I don't call in the name of the Lord? Well, maybe you're not the elect. <laughs> we get wrapped around the axle over silly things, huh? Whosoever, the call has gone out to all the world. All we have to do is receive what Christ has done for us. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Lord, we thank You so much for the truth of Your Word, what Your Word is declaring to us, Lord Jesus, is that the, the fall of Israel, the stumbling of Israel, the rejection of Israel has opened the door for the rest of us. And the same offer that was offered to them is offered to us. Whosoever 
will call in the name of the Lord. If I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then I will confess with my mouth that He is Lord and Savior. He is who He declared Himself to be. He has taken me from a broken, burned out shell of a man. And He has transformed me into the image of His Son. The work continues. He is continuing daily to work that work of metamorphosis in my life. I'm not the person I was. I am not yet what I will be. But I'm not what I was. He has changed me. Whosoever. That's the call. And this morning, if that's your desire, if it's your desire to call on the name of the Lord, you don't have to leave without doing it. You don't have to walk out or race to lunch. You've eaten a hundred lunches. You'll probably be okay if you're late to this one. But you won't be okay. If you've never called on the name of the Lord and you walk away yet again when God is calling. This morning the call has gone out. And this morning as we close in prayer and as prayer counselors come forward, I just want to invite you. That's you. That's you this morning. And as we close and before you run off to the rest of your day, you come up here and talk to one of these prayer counselors and tell them, I need to call on the name of the Lord. There's no more important thing that you will ever do than to call. Because whoever calls, he gives grace. Whoever calls, He gives grace. And to whoever believes, to whoever believes, He gives salvation. God, we thank You for the work You are doing and have done in our midst. And I pray, Lord, that You would finish that work in the hearts of those here with us this morning who may doubt. Today, is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Lord God, we ask your blessing and anointing as we close out this service with that opportunity, Lord, that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.